You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. There we go. Okay, hey, so actually, let me start a timer because y'all know what it is. If I don't start a timer, I'm going to be out of here on Monday. And so, um, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, at Refuge. And what we're going to do right now is we've done some singing. Now we're going to go ahead and transition into a time uh, of being in the Bible, right? Being in the, the Word of God, we believe. And, and really what we're going to do right now is we're not going to sit here and open it and just be like, hey, let's just learn something new about God. We believe that even here in this school right now, right, as simple as it seems, right, we're in a school, there's like behind all them curtains right there, there's just a mass amounts of like cafeteria tables, right? Even here, uh, we believe that when we open this, these words, right, and, and maybe you're turning your phone on, maybe you have an actual Bible because you're super holy, uh, but regardless, when we engage with these words, what ends up happening is that we believe God meets us as we read these words. We believe that he, he speaks to us. And so we're not just asking him to teach us something new. We're asking him to meet with us here. We're aiming, as you see, big on that, that first set of words that are to connect with God and to have him actually touch our lives and to change us and transform us in some way. And so that's what we're going to do right now as we head into what we call like our sermon, right, our time in the Bible. And how we're going to do that is we're going to be uh, continuing a sermon series called The Good Shepherd. And so what we've been doing is we've been walking through, all y'all been here, y'all know, we're walking through Psalm 23, the, the chapter that we read just a second ago, and taking it verse by verse. So cha- chapter 23, verse 1, chapter 23, verse 2. And so we're in week four. That means we're in verse what? Oh, man, snap, people are getting this. Okay, so, and what this is, this is a psalm of David where he's using his experience as a shepherd in order to help us learn something about who God is and about who we are, right? right. Try to help us understand what does it look like to follow this shepherd as he navigates through uh, life and seasons. And, and today, specifically, uh, we're, we're looking at verse 4, as I mentioned, and, and we want to answer this question. What does it look like to follow God during difficult seasons? Right? Last week, we kind of went through the idea, what does it look like to follow God in the midst of failure when, when we're not doing good? And we have these expectations of what it looks like maybe to be a Christian or to follow Jesus or uh, just to try and live a godly or good life. And then we seem to fall short of that. What does it look like to follow uh, God even in the midst of that? And this week, what we can do is answer this question, where what does it look like to follow God during difficult seasons, during those as you've probably heard him call those dark nights of the soul, right? We felt the, the, the weight of those dark times. I'm sure everyone in here has felt that. And if you haven't, I lovingly want to warn you, not because I'm a Debbie Downer, but because uh, I'm a human being and I care about you, that those things are coming. If you haven't felt something like that yet, it's on the horizon at some point. Uh, and so for some of us, we, we hear something like that. And let me, let me just put it out there. I know that just bringing up that, that kind of idea starts to make some of us feel a little unsettled because you've probably had people trivialize your pain, especially in like a Christian context where it feels like your pain was trivialized. It was kind of made small. And people were like, oh, man, like, like God got that or, or man, you'll be OK. And that's not what we want to do today. Right. That's not our aim. I don't think it's as simple as that. In fact, I think that if we follow the story of the gospel, which we'll get into in a little bit, I think it's actually much heavier than that. I think it's, it's, it's a blessing, but, but it's also a, a bit heavy as we work through it. And so I want to make sure you know that's not, what we're, we don't wanna, that's not our aim today. But we do nonetheless want to look at Psalm 23 and say, what, what is this telling us about how we follow God in the midst of difficult seasons? And so 
I want to do this by tackling two ideas that we have here in this text, in, in just this one verse. The first one is to kind of, kind of well, let me say this first. The two ideas are linked to how God provides for us. If you notice, like almost every sermon up until this point has been linked to this idea how God the shepherd provides. And likewise, we're going to keep that theme going, and we're going to cover two ideas, which is God provides protection and God provides growth. Specifically, he provides spiritual growth, although I think that idea can extend a bit farther out than that. And I'm hoping that by presenting these ideas in this text, we'll, we'll get a bit better of an answer to the question, how do I follow God in the midst of difficult seasons? And so let's go ahead and, and dive in a bit deeper. We're gonna just read uh, Psalm 23, verse four, and then we're gonna jump into that first idea that God provides protection. So Psalm 23, verse four goes like this. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, so, so let's think about this first idea, right, that God provides protection. When it comes to seeing uh, God's protection in this verse, we need to build a little bit of context. I think it's easy to look here and be like, oh, yeah, like his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And, and there feels like a bit of protection already built in. But when you start to tease that idea out a little bit, I think something really beautiful happens. And so as we start the second half of Psalm 23, if you didn't know, there's six verses. And now we're coming into the second half of those six verses. We're starting on verse four. Uh, we also see that the second half of this psalm parallels the second half of the calendar year for actually a shepherd. Uh, David himself was a shepherd. He was the, the king of Israel, but he also was just like before that, he was just a shepherd. In, in uh, 1 Samuel, they go to anoint a new king, and, and they go to this man named Jesse's house, and they go through all of, of Jesse's sons, all the older ones. They arrive at the younger one, and they're like, do you have anyone else? Because I'm looking at all your strapping young men here, and I'm not getting anything from the Lord that they're supposed to be king. And, and they're like, well, we got the young and He's out in the field tending to the sheep. And they're like, all right, we're not going anywhere until that guy gets here. And so, like, he, he has a a vast amount of experience in the shepherd game, if you know what I'm saying. And so he does this really cool thing where now as we enter into the second half of the psalm, he's actually taking us on the journey of the second half of what uh, the shepherd's calendar would look like. This, this would have meant two things, right? This is, this is what I'm getting at here. First, it would have meant that the winter and, uh, and kind of spring seasons were passing away. They, 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 were, they were, were moving on passes, and so where the, the shepherds would find green pastures, and really those green pastures that, that the shepherd would lead the sheep to were all around like the home ranch, and so no pasture was really more than like a day's journey away from their spot, and that time was coming to a close, and now they were moving into uh, kind of like the, the summer's fall season, the summer fall season where, where now the shepherd would take his flock, and they'd start working their way into the mountains. And they would work their way in the mountains during the summer. And, and as they got into the mountains, they would find valleys and pastures in the mountains. And then they would feed on those valleys. They would go a little bit deeper until fall started setting in and it would maybe start to snow. When it started to snow, the weather would start to change, obviously, first in the highest portion of the mountain. So the shepherd would bring the sheep back down the mountain, back down the mountain until finally they would arrive back home at the beginning uh, of winter so they could be close by. So this is all of what's happening right now. But, but when this happened uh, at the beginning of summer, when they would go up into the mountains during this time, uh, the shepherd would be extraordinarily close to the sheep, unlike at any other point in time uh, in the year. During the winter, right, during the spring, there would be this sense of like care and provision, but, but they were also close to home. If something happened, they could just kind of run back home, pick up the supplies that they needed, and then get back out in the field, and the sheep would probably be okay. But, but during these specific times when they headed into the mountain, they would possibly be days away from their home ranch. 
And all of a sudden, the care of the shepherd would become extremely intimate, would become extremely important. They would begin to, to care for him in ways that, that really, really kind of kept all of them very close because no longer was, was it all familiar territory, but sometimes it was unfamiliar territory. And this really, you can start to see what David is doing here because here in verse 4, something really cool happens. David stops saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He will do this. He will do that. And now he transitions to saying, and when I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. Right? This, this transition of knowing that in certain seasons, right, God's presence will be maybe more felt, even though his presence isn't different. In certain times of our life, as we're moving along the path of life, we'll, we'll long for God's presence in ways then that we didn't before. And oftentimes what we think is, man, what's wrong with me? What's, what, what's wrong with me? I feel like I'm not longing for God right now. And then we begin to question, man, am I even a believer? Am I even a Christian? Yet, I think David himself in something like Psalm 23 would paint this picture where along the path, you, you come to certain places where green pastures are plentiful. And you talk about God and you say, man, God's good. And then there are certain times where you enter into a little bit scarier seasons, maybe harder seasons. And in those moments, oftentimes the intimacy you have with God is going to be different. And that's okay. Right? That's all right. If anyone here has that feeling, even right now, where you're like, man, I'm not in a season where I feel like I'm longing for God. I'm not, I'm not desperate. I feel like I'm not even that intimate. Tell you, right, like, man, that, that's okay. Take a deep breath. You may be in a season where green pastures are plentiful. And in that case, praise God. But, but we all go through those seasons recognizing that, that there will be difficult times ahead. And when difficult times comes it, and it feels like we're completely alone, here's the thing. Those moments seem to be the moments where God goes from being the one we talk about to being the one we talk to, right? In those difficult seasons, what David wants us to see, right, is that those are the times where God goes from being the one who gives us what we need to being the one that we need. And that's a good season to be in as well, right? Every season is marked by its own character, but, but in these seasons, oftentimes these these dark valleys of the soul and heart, right? God takes on a different character in our life, and all of a sudden, he becomes the one we desperately know we need more than anything else. And here's the beautiful part about this, right? Rather than coming to us in those moments and, and being like, well, I need to take into account that for the past few seasons you weren't paying attention to me, or, or I need to take into account that for the past few seasons you've been worried about other things and not me. For the past uh, few months or years maybe of your life, you've looked somewhere else and said, man, these things will provide for me my emotional, spiritual state far more than I think God will. And so maybe you've pursued those things and, and maybe even you've left me behind in some ways. Yet David paints this beautiful picture that even after all that, in the midst of the dark valley, when God says, I'm with you, he's there. And he doesn't come to you and say, well, man, you know all that stuff happened. And it, you, you might not, you might even been able to avoid this time in your life, but you just said, he doesn't do that. That's not him. His character is foundationally this reality that the moment we enter into those dark valleys, his promises, and I'm with you. Right? My rod and my staff, they comfort you. That, that's his character to protect us, to hold us, to, to care for us. But, but that's not where things actually stop when we think about this protection idea, right? Check this out. You see, those valleys in the mountains aren't actually uh, valleys that, that we may be thinking of. David uses a word here talking about valleys uh, that's a little bit departs from how we might traditionally think of it. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the word a dark valley or the darkest valley, or if you want to get like old school and be like the valley of the shadow of death, all right, what do you imagine? Just, and it's not a rhetorical question. I want to hear from you. What do you imagine? 
A canyon, that's good. Okay, say it again. Bones, okay. That's getting along the lines of what I've been thinking. But okay, anybody else? Dry, a bunch of rocks. Okay, that's all really helpful. Let me tell you what I think about. I think about, anybody ever seen the movie Sleepy Hollow? Okay, I got one person that's like, yes. I guarantee you the person that nodded was like, I love Tim Burton. Because anybody that knows Sleepy Hollow is like guaranteed that they just love Tim Burton. And by the way, I love Tim Burton. So like anything Tim Burton makes, I'm like, bro, I'm going to watch that. It's like 115% chance I'm going to watch that. Anyway, so like this very, like, like maybe trees kind of over the top, preventing it from being very bright, kind of like, uh, what's it called? Fog everywhere. It's very dark. It's very scary. That's what I picture. Yet when, when we look at the word valley that, that David uses here, it, it's a little bit different than that, right? It's actually not a valley or a pasture at all. The word starts to, to kind of bring about this idea of like a, a chasm between two objects, like, like a grand space between two objects. And what David was probably imagining when he was writing this was actually these deep gorges in the mountains once they started ascending and descending down the mountains that would take them deep into the ravines and and the the cavernous spaces of the mountains. And once they got all the way down there, those spaces would be surrounded by mountains on each side. And, and, and there would be no real like forward path, no real back path, no right path, no left path, because everything around you would just be mountains almost as high as you could see. And because of that, there would be not that much sunlight that entered into that space. So it would be dark and, and kind of hard to navigate. In addition, there would probably be collections of water down in that space of the mountain. And so predators would start to, to roam around in order to get a drink in that part of the mountain. And in addition, to keep, to keep an eye out on on, on that might be going there to drink as well. And so when they entered into this space of the dark valley, right, the valley of the shadow of death, what what David is trying to want us to picture is this idea of a cavernous, dark, predatory place that honestly people knew like, yo, that's the darkest valley. Like like in that space, if if you don't pay attention in that place, you can get hurt. You get killed. People, shepherds themselves can, can go in there and not come out as a consequence, right? They can go in there and lose sheep while they're in the valley of darkness down there deep in the mountains. And as a consequence, the sheep would, would get scared, right? This is the very environment that they, were, they would be in that they would start to feel terrified. They would start to, uh, to huddle together more. Historically, the, the vision, the, the sight would be the, the sheep huddling together. And, and if uh, the shepherd was a good shepherd, his flock would nestle extremely close to him, knowing that his protection was probably the only protection down here in this deep valley. And this is where the last part of the verse comes in, right? Because this is what makes this last part of the verse super great. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Someone in my community group the other day was like, what's the difference between a rod and a staff? And at the time, I ain't gonna lie. I was like, bro, I don't know. I think they're the same thing. Well, I came to find out this week they're not. All right. So uh, a rod was actually a long, thicker, hardier stick that was carried by the shepherd in these dark, cavernous ravines, right, in the mountains. And the, the that was the rod. So the staff was kind of like that traditional shepherd staff you think of with the big hook on the end of it. And he would carry both of them, one, so that if a predator was, was seen, he would grab the, the rod and begin to beat the predator back with the rod. It was usually, like I said, hardier, bigger, just a, a better weapon in some ways. And then on the other side, if one of the, the sheep in the flock began to depart from the, the flock and begin to leave and maybe put itself in a vulnerable area, the shepherd would grab the staff and be able to, to pull the sheep back in 
And so as the rod and the staff were being held by the shepherd, the sheep in the middle of the cavern look and see the shepherd's rod, the one that protects them from predators, and see the staff, the one that draws them back in and know that's where I'm safe. And so when David paints this picture for us, when you're in the darkest of valleys, your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's painting the picture that, friend, in, in your darkest valleys, God himself protects you. He cares for you. Right? When, when you begin to depart on your own and you begin to see things that you believe will bring you life, but in reality will bring you death, it's often God's comforting staff that pulls you back in and says, no, nah, I love you too much to let you do some of that. Or maybe when you've departed so far that you find yourself cast down like we talked about last week, it's, it's, it's God's staff that draws you back in. But when, when there seem to be enemies all around and it seems to be that, that the pressure on you is mounting and the danger is felt, it's also God's rod that beats those enemies back, that protects you and cares for you. Here's the thing, friend, as I describe this valley, right, this darkest of valleys, what I'm hoping is going on in your mind is you're starting to imagine what that looks like for you. We're creating this idea of what it looked like for the sheep and what it looked like for the shepherd, but, but David isn't trying to tell you about how a sheep lives. I don't know if I said that right, but he's not trying to get you to imagine a shepherd exclusively. He's trying to get you to imagine you. And so as he depicts this dark cavernous valley for sheep, he wants you to start picturing your dark cavernous valley. He wants you to start picturing where you enter into a space where it feels like it's dangerous and there's enemies to your heart, to your soul, to your mental health that are crouching all around you ready to pounce and where it feels like everything's so dark that you can't tell what's good, what's bad, but you're trying your best to walk through it and, and you can feel the grips of fear and sadness and you can feel the grips of pain maybe. What he wants us to do and what he's inviting us into is not to sit here and just imagine what it's like for sheep to go through a dark valley in the mountains. What he wants us to think about is what does it look like for you to go through a dark valley in Austin, Texas? What does it look like for you to go through a valley at 25 years old out of college looking at the rest of your life? What does it look like for you to go through a valley when you're 65 years old staring at, at the next chapter of life? What does it look like for you to go through a valley as, as a Hispanic male, as a white female, as a, as a black female, as a black male, as X, Y, and Z? Insert your experience. He's inviting us into this space where all of a sudden we're, we're asked to picture where is it that you've felt these things before? I, I didn't want to give you a lesson on the anatomy of a sheep. That's not my goal. I wanted to give you a lesson on the anatomy of fear and heartache and burden and pain. Because what you may not ever be in a cavernous ravine in the mountains of Galilee in your life, but you will be in a dark night of the soul at some point in your life now. And at that moment, right, David wants to invite us to ask the question, where do you look? Where do you look? Where, where do you find life? What comforts you in that moment? Are you alone? Do you feel a part of a community, a part of a flock? This is, these are the questions he's, he's begging us to answer here. I'm not going to lie. I always tell y'all when, uh, when I'm lacking a, a little bit of familiarity with notes to look at me and be like, hey, bro, you haven't looked down in like five minutes. You need to look down. I ain't telling nobody that today, so I ain't getting none of y'all looking at me doing this number. But, friends, here's the thing. David understood that the ravines and dark valleys were part of what it meant to walk through life. 
right? This, this is what it looks like to walk through life. You will inevitably get to green pastures, but it will always require going through a portion of dark valleys in order to get there. And in the midst of that, the question is, where do you find comfort? Is God the one that's actually providing comfort for you? Because here's the thing. The declaration of God in this text is not come find me. The declaration is I'm with you. He's with me. Right? That's the idea present in the text. And so David doesn't really invite us to go find something afresh for us to be encouraged by in the midst of our most difficult times. But rather, he invites us to open our eyes to look around and recognize that the God who made you is also the God who's with you. The God who led you to green pastures is leading you now. Your invitation is not to try to go find something that brings you life, but to turn to the one who's promised himself to be with you in the midst of dark valleys. Right? That, that's the question he wants to ask. That, that's what he's inviting us to consider. And here's the thing, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pain, his presence may not make the pain go away. It may not bring sunlight to the middle of the ravine in that very moment. But he's inviting us to, to learn and to taste and to see what it might be like to, see, to feel nestled into that dark place, but to feel the presence of the shepherd and to learn what it means to be comforted in the moments of of deep and dark and honest pain and struggle because of the shepherd's presence in your life. I don't think any one of us could possibly sit up here and be like, man, one time I was in the midst of something really horrible and then God just like all of a sudden showed up and all the horrible things ceased to exist in my life. Maybe you have that story. And if you do, man, God bless you, man. Like praise God for real. But the majority of us in this room know what it's like to feel in the depths of pain. And the thing is, in those moments, there's no cure for it. There's no cure for heartache. There's no cure for sadness. There's no cure for fear. We're just looking into what feels like an abyss of a future and thinking to ourselves, I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know what the next season is going to have. And I don't know what the next time of my life is going to bring. And I'm, I'm battening down the hatches and I'm trying to prepare as much as I can. But the reality is I'm a little bit scared. I'm a little bit fearful. And honestly, in those moments, David is saying, there's one that brings peace and comfort. And I promise you, he may not be able to just magically make the dark valleys disappear, but in his way, he's guiding through the dark valleys inevitably to bring you to green pastures. Man, turn to him. Rely on him. Hope in him. And, uh, um, I'm going to pull a total pastor move here, and I'm going to say that this really reminds me of my son. Uh, because pastors love talking about their children because they make the best sermon illustrations of history of everything. Um, my son Jude is two and a half years old. He's going to be three in September. And uh, he's a tall boy for his age. Uh, I, I like to say jokingly that my man has natural division three abilities. And so uh, without, without trying that much, my man looks like he'd just get onto a football field or a soccer pitch and just be like, you know, I'm going to make D3 today. All right? So... Uh, so it's oftentimes easy to look at him and to think like, okay, man, you're, you're good. You got it. Like the dark ain't nothing to you. You're all right, man. You, you're going to be, you're a big boy, right? And he'll be like, yeah. And I'm like, you're a big boy, right? Yeah. Your daddy's boy. Yeah, I'm daddy's boy. Right. This is how he responds to things. But, but every night we put him to sleep and anywhere between one and 4 a.m. I hear a, a random, uh, And I realized that my son just woke up in a dark room 
with this loud white noise behind him to try to help him sleep. But if I woke up to it, I'd be a little freaked out myself. (laughs) With this dim light coming from the corner where his nightlight is. And in that moment, he feels desperately scared. And so he just starts saying, Mommy, Daddy, get me out of here, please. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm sad. I'm scared. I'm hurt. Mommy, come get me, please. And I'm not exaggerating when he he screams and yells, please, like it's heartbreaking. In fact, it happened last night. And so I got up and I went over there and I opened the door and I said, Papi, Papi, it's okay. Come here. And he came and he gave me a hug and he was just going. (laughs) And here's the thing. Morning hadn't come yet. He still had some hours to go and sleep. I couldn't flip the switch and make it all go away because the reality was my man wasn't going to make it if he'd been up since 3 o'clock in the morning. At bare minimum, his mother wasn't going to make it. So I knew I can't make this go away for you. In a few hours, I know you. You're going to be up. You're going to be smiling. You're going to be with your sister. You're going to be with your mom. And everything's going to be okay. But right now, I can't make it all go away. But the thing was is he didn't need me to make it all go away. The crying didn't stop when day came. The dying stopped when I came. He just needed my presence with him in the darkness. He just needed me to be there in the darkness in order for it to be all right. Friends, David has this beautiful, beautiful invitation in a text like this where he's saying, I can't tell you that the sky is going to turn clear right away. I can't tell you that green pastures are only a minute away. I don't know how many hours you have left in the dark valley. I don't know the pain that's going to come in it. I don't know everything that's going to happen in that moment. But what I know is that he's with you. And that his rod will protect you. That his staff will keep you. And his presence in the midst of those moments will be comforting beyond anything else that you can grasp onto in that valley. That's that's what David wants us to see. God provides protection in the midst of those valleys, in the midst of those dark times, right? Not because he magically delivers us from them, but because he says, man, I will be with you in them. It's why Jesus, John 16, uh, I believe it's verse 33, says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. What incredibly good news for the follower of Jesus going through trouble, right? To look at Jesus and hear him say, man, I've told you this so that you can have peace in me. You're going to have problems here. But behold, I've overcome the world, I've overcome those problems. And even now for some of you, you might be asking, like, how can he say that, right? How can he say that? In the midst of the dark valley, in the midst of the ravine, how can this Jesus show up and just be like, hey, I'm with you. You're going to have troubles in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered those troubles. He's just popping off at the mouth at this point, right? 2,000 years ago, trying to drop courage on me. 2,000 years later, what do I have? He's never been where I've been. He's never done. The things that have happened to me have never happened to him, but 
But I have to tell you, friend, au contraire. Au contraire. We said this last week. I think that, that when David was writing this psalm, how all he could imagine in his mind was the shepherd being with the sheep as they entered into the cavernous ravine of the dark valley. But as the Holy Spirit worked through David to write these words, I don't think that's all the Holy Spirit could see when he wrote these words. Because when we think of, of God going through the valley with us, we have to think about this Jesus that says he's overcome and conquered the world. You see, in the person of Jesus, I, I want you to paint, I want you with me to try and paint this picture and to receive it, right? The God enters into the darkest valley, not as the shepherd anymore, but in the person of Jesus, God enters the valley as the sheep. He enters the valley as the sheep and he takes the pain and the loneliness of the cross. He feels the despair that we feel that comes from separation from God, the Father. He's devoured by the predators that surround him like shame and guilt and trauma and sin and then resurrects in, all, in victory over all of it so that he could look at us and say, I'm with you. I, I'm actually with you. Right? You, you may have one time read these words and thought this ethereal God is guiding me through this idea of darkness and pain and trauma, but then Jesus enters into the picture and the words, he is with me in the middle of a dark valley take on a whole new meaning because now the pain that I associate with my life, I look at Jesus and say, he's held that same pain. The trauma that, that I had inflicted on me, I look at Jesus and understand he's held that same trauma. When I look at Jesus and see the shame that begins to riddle me and take me over, Jesus held that same shame. He's held that same fear. He's gone through bout after bout after bout with the darkest and loneliest and scariest valleys so that he could look at us and go, behold, I'm with you in there. I've gone through it before you. And the thing is, everything you're going through, I've conquered it. I've conquered it. I've gone through it, and the fear of what it's going to do to you is the same fear I might have had of what it was going to do to me, but I've overtaken it, I've surpassed it, and now I promise you through myself that these dark valleys don't lead to darker valleys, but through me, these darker valleys lead to green pastures. Friend, when, when David writes the word, behold, right, I'm, I'm in the darkest valley, but, but God is with me, I don't think he could have had any idea exactly how close God was going to be in the midst of it that God would literally enter into the story of our darkest valleys to join us there and say, I'm with you. I'm with you and I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. And here's the thing, friend, this is, this is why in turn, right, that these dark valleys produce growth. Right? I said at the beginning, God provides protection. I think I've, I may have beat that horse a little long right now. I ain't going to lie. But hear me, I needed to beat that horse for a while in order for you to understand how critical this idea is of running to the shepherd with his rod and his staff because that is actually wherein God gives us and provides spiritual growth in that dark valley. Because when I say God provides growth, he provides spiritual growth. What I'm not saying is that God teaches us something new. You may learn something new in a dark valley, right? Maybe you made a poor choice and it landed you in that dark valley and you're like, well, I'm never going to do that thing again. That's great. That's terrific, 
right? Maybe in the midst of that dark valley, you gained some patience and, and you were like, man, I, I really was steadfast through this dark valley and, and I feel like I could be steadfast longer. Great. But the lesson in the spiritual growth that God ultimately seeks to endow when we're in the midst of the darkest valley is not lessons of how we can be better, but lessons of how we can depend on the best. Right? It's only in the dark valley when we go, man, I don't know how much patience I thought I had, but I don't think I got that anymore. It's only in the darkest valley when we go, man, I don't know how strong I think I was, but I'm not that strong. It's only when the dark valley we go, man, I thought I had some things figured out, but you know what, bro? I ain't got nothing figured out. I thought I had a five-year plan for my life. I don't got any plan for my life. I thought I knew where I was going to be in 20 years, bro. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. And in those moments when everything begins to be stripped away from us and it seems like the darkness begins to engulf us, like the sheep huddling next to the shepherd, we begin to go, I have nowhere else to be except for here. I have no other place that I have to be except for at your feet. Your rod and your staff, all I have is those. I depend on you. I'm yours. Help me. Protect me. Man, and when I go through the darkest valley, you're with me. And all of a sudden, the part of our hearts that seem to be a little bit self-reliant before that dark valley come out of that green pasture nestled up to a shepherd that says, this green valley is from you. And I'll thank you every day. I'll be nestled to you every day. God, my heart, when it's in lacking gratitude, draw me to your feet. All of a sudden, the one that seemed far off in the pastures prior to the dark valley becomes the one that's nestled to you deep in the midst of the dark valley. And, and the growth that comes from it is sheer reliance and dependence on that one, on that shepherd, on that good shepherd that declares that he's, he's going to provide, that declares he's with you in the midst of it, right? That moment is, mo is a moment that we can look back on dark fields, dark valleys, dark chasms, and say thank you. Because I have scars. I have scars to prove that I've been to the darkest valleys. But man, those scars also scream that you were with me in the dark valleys. Like Jesus coming up to the disciples and saying, here are the holes in my hands. Put your finger through them. I've been there with you. Is the same way we can look at the battle scars of the darkest valleys and go, man, but you've been with me. And now I, I know you're all I need. I thought I needed X, Y, and Z, but, but the spiritual growth happens. We begin to learn, man, I didn't need anything beyond you from the get go. I thought I did. And the thing is, I, I still may again. Man, but, but in this moment, the growth that's happened is, is the sheer strength with which I cling to you. And hear me, friend, listen, listen to me. That's enough. That is enough. If you are deeply sad that in your life you're not who you wish you were, you're not the person you wish you were, with the patience you wish you had, with the kindness you wish you had, with the boldness you wish you had, with the success you wish you had, right, with, with, with everything you wish you had, but you are clinging to the Savior as though it's the last thing keeping you from the mountainous ravine underneath you, that's enough. Look at me. I want you to look at me. That's enough. And every lie of the enemy that tells you that's insufficient, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Because it's literally in Romans that Paul declares this beautiful story that, man, that faith that clinging to the one who's, who succeeded where you failed, that is enough to be counted to you as righteousness forever. That's sufficient. That's good enough. And friends, if you come out the darkest valley and everything on you is bloody, 
and everything on you is bruised, but your hands are interlocked around the Savior like he's the last thing that you have, that valley was worth it. That valley was worth it. And again, I don't want to trivialize how bad it was. I'm not trying to tell you that in order to make what you went through seem small. I'm telling you that to try and help you see of how immensely big this God is that claims to be our shepherd, that claims to be with us in those dark valleys. It was worth it. Here's the thing. Today, right, if, if you're in a dark valley, I don't know what that looks like for you, but only you know, right? I, I can only be me. You can only be you. My dark valley is going to look different than yours. Your dark valley is going to look different than mine. But if you're there, right, and, and you count yourself a follower of Jesus, will you come to him today? Right? Will you come to him today and will you pour out your heart? Right? Will you spiritually fall at his feet and, and in your heart just be like, I don't have anything but you. I have to cling to you. We're fixing to take communion in, in just a minute. Right? One of these beautiful depictions in scripture where we remind ourselves of the body of Jesus broken and the blood of Jesus shed for the sake of, of him calling us to himself, of him being with us truly. In that moment, take that, go back to your seat. Man, Ask somebody to pray with you. Share what's going on in your life and let them, let them be the hands and feet of Jesus to you as they pray for you, comfort you, love you, care for you as he does right now. And here's the thing. If you don't know this shepherd, right, if you don't know, if when I talk about dark valleys, you get petrified because in your mind you think to yourself, I don't know who I'd be with if I went into that right now. If I went into that right now, I don't know who's beside me. I don't know who's with me. I want to invite you to get right with this God today. I want to invite you to come to him and to know him and to feel the, the relief of what it means to be brought to him through the work of his son and for him to declare over you forever, I'm with you. Now, not because of what you did, but because of your act of faith to come to me and to follow my son. Now, I will never desert you. I'm with you forever. I, I want to invite you to that as well. When we close up, I'm going to sit right there when we sing some songs. I sat right there when we sang them first three songs. I'm going to sit right there when we sing them last two songs. If that's you, I want to invite you to come get me. Don't be like, oh, I need someone to pray for me. If you want to know that Jesus and get right with him today, I want you to come grab me from that chair and be like, fam, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but, come, but, but pray with me. What do I do? That's great. That's all you need to do. This shepherd invites all to taste and see, and so I want you to come and to taste and see, no matter, no matter what background you come from, whether you feel close to God at this moment or whether you feel like you don't know him at all. Right? This, is, this is the day that we are invited to, to taste and see of this good shepherd who through the darkest valley says, I'm with you, and I'll protect you, and I will keep you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the truth of who you are, the truth of the good shepherd that even in the midst of the darkest valleys protects and cares for us. When we don't come to you, Father, you still protect and care for us. When we neglect you, you still protect and care for us. When we forget about you, you still neglect and care, you still care for us and protect us. 
Thank you for who you are today, Father. Thank you that as we come uh, to this table and we remind ourselves of your body broken and your blood shed, that we come knowing the beauty of what it means to be cared for by the good shepherd, to be guided through beautiful pastures and still waters and the blessings of our life that we, we rejoice in and that we enjoy and we take for granted at times, but we also recognize the beautiful character of the good shepherd that goes with us deep into the descendant places of the darkest valleys and declares, I'm with you. My rod and my staff, they'll protect you, they'll keep you. Father, today, no matter where we are in the, the greenest of pastures or in the darkest of valleys, let us to collectively together join in, in coming to you, in worshiping you, in, in, in crying out for you, in praying um, that, that you would meet us here. Father, let us pour our heart to you, even if it's in a chair, if it's with someone we barely know, if it's someone that we've known for years. Let us meet you here today, the good shepherd that desires to let us know of your great presence with us in every season of our life. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.